Whoever said, it's not whether you win or lose that counts, probably lost. Ladies, gentlemen, and variations thereupon, this is Modern Escapism. Welcome to this week's show. I'm your host with the least gadget, and joining me this week are Glittering Losers. Nominated for Best Actress but pipped to the post by Michelle Yeoh, it's Candy. Hello. She deserves it. And nominated for Game of the Year by mistake, he's still pissed that Elden Ring got it, it's Biggie. <laughs> Robbed. Yes. Hello. Unfortunately, at the Biggies last week, Oodles slapped Stig on stage, resulting in Oodles being locked up and Stig in a full body cast with a world record 192 bro- bones broken at the same time so they won't be able to join us tonight. We shall mo- mock them mercilessly, as is tradition. <laughs> yeah, without those waffle nuglets, we can probably get this done in about 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. Early boss home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, you're going to hear us talk about media that was robbed of big gongs at the Glittering Awards ceremonies. And you'll also hear about some things we did this week in the Nexus. But before all that, he suffered controversy this week for his political views on Twitter, but he refuses to step down for the good of the dark money men that keep us going. It's Biggie's breaking news. You may already know, but he doesn't, because it's time for Biggie's breaking news. Yes, so first up, The Last of Us co-creator and longtime Naughty Dog game director Bruce Straley has sparked a developer debate on social media after declaring that linear games are easier to make. He posted, linear games just easier to make. There, are, are, I said are, are, it. Are you saying linear or linear? Linear, linear. It just depends where you're from. In the South, we say it differently. Candy, you're in the South. Is that a thing? Uh, sure. <laughs> oh, linear, we say here. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, this came from uh, the titles that basically have a set path, like, for example, in Uncharted's Drake's Fortune, take less of a toll on teams than giant open-world releases, such as Horizon Forbidden West. Several developers agree with the point, and many fans are also pointing out that they prefer more guarded experiences overall. One person said, easier to make, more creatively interesting, and on a time suck to play. Sounds like a win-win to me. And Australia went on to say, in a further tweet, Lol, y'all are nuts. I didn't think this is such a controversial topic, nor did I say one design style was better than the other. But you fools. I mean, I think, uh, I think what, the, what Bruce Straley's tried to say, and he's absolutely butchering it, is that <laughs> when you make a linear game, you orchestrate things, like you direct the player mm. through, expli- through scenarios rather than like an open world game where you just ha- kind of have to let the player find the fun or the activities. So in that respect, I think, I think it's probably easier to design. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine The Last of Us Part Two was an easy game to make in any mm. way, shape or form. But certainly from a design perspective, it's like, yeah, you've got a point A, a line to point B, some shit happens in the middle, there's your level. You know, I think that's what he's getting at. Yeah, that's what I yeah, took some- from it. I think it's kind of a no-brainer that it would be not easier to make, but like you said, simpler. Um, but it sounds like people have chimed in and said, yeah, but linear games are better, or but open world games are better. That's not what you were saying, was it? No. I mean, both both have their, both do have their merits. And I do love both, because obviously 
Fallout. That's um, the most open world you can get, really. But I love The Last of Us as well. But I, yeah, as from a design point of view, surely it must be easier. You know, you don't have to account for all these. So you know, much can go wrong yeah, in an exactly. open world. Things have to interact with each other and doing things at a different time. How does that affect something further in the game or later or What's at the, the same time? And uh, yeah. there's a lot to think about. That's the funny thing as well. The Last of Us Part Two, like each level was kind of its own little open world. There weren't many kind of direct linear paths through that game. Mm. You go to one level and like, like the um, thing, like the Seattle level at the beginning is fucking huge and non-linear. But I mean, fair enough. Uh, oh, we have got to do the thing next. Ah, thank you. Sony has been ordered to pay refunds after an Austrian court ruled that FIFA Ultimate Team is a form of gambling. The controversial game mode sees players spending money on digital packs, etc. Uh, these can then be traded, sold through in-game currency, and used to make teams. But games Wirtschaft reports the small court in Hermagor filed in favour of several FIFA players who took Sony to court in 2020. Um, it should be noted that PlayStation doesn't make the football game, but it does take a cut on all the transactions conducted through the PlayStation Store, and obviously that includes FIFA packs. The plaintiffs, including one minor, argued that they gambled away 400 euros in the game, and lawyer Ulrich Salberg said that the random nature of the rewards violated the country's gambling laws. As a result, Sony has been ordered to pay back, at the moment, 438 euros, but is yet to comment on the ruling. Well, the sums aren't exactly eye-watering for a company. Interesting to see whether this sets a precedent for FIFA Ultimate Team moving forwards. Well, I don't see why Sony are being dragged into it. Should you be going after EA for this? Mm. I mm. suppose they give them the green light. Ultimately, it's Sony's decision to whether to have gambling on their platform or not. Yeah, like Sony are going to say no. Well, exactly. That's what I mean. That's why they're in court now, probably. But yeah, no, good. I'm glad they're getting sued for it. Yeah, it, yeah it'd be interesting it's to absolutely see if other companies pick it up. Yeah, I think just we, we just need to get past this whole loot box lifestyle for games, especially when, especially with Ultimate mm. Team. Like, you've got to buy the FIFA game to play the fucking game in the first place. I'm a little bit more forgiving on it in free to play games because they've got to make their money somehow. But when you <laughs> when you've got a game that sells by the bucket load in the first place, having a microtransaction funnel into your bank account is just wrong. I think. My issue is even with free games, I don't mind microtransactions and them having a game store, but I just want to be able to see how much you're paying and what you're getting. Like, that leaves the decision down to you, right? Maybe it's expensive. I'll spend my birthday money or something on getting a fucking pink gun. But you know <laughs> what? You, get, you, you don't want to say, you know, I'll spend 20 quid on loot crates and then hopefully I might have a one in 1,000 chance of getting this pink, pink gun. Yeah. The trouble, the trouble is as well. They always, they never have the actual price either. They'll say, "Oh, it's five hundred crowns, or it's five hundred fucking shitters, or whatever." Yeah. Just so you can't <laughs> like immediately compare it to how much you're actually spending. So it's that which is predatory anyway. And then I think some of like the games like is it um, Diablo for the, the amount that you have to spend to have a fully leveled character and oh, it's thousands. Somebody mm. went through the. the I think it's like 60 grand to get the ultimate team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I, th I think what, sh what should be put in, I mean, if, if companies insist on having these things in, which they're going to because they want the money, I think there should be like an easy way to see in your account what your total spend is on the game. Like, yeah. Because yeah. it's very easy and it, it's the same with kind of gambling or raffles or anything like that. Like, it's very easy for you to just kind of keep putting a couple of quid in here, a couple of quid in there. 
But if you could like look in FIFA Ultimate Team and, and like you go, oh god, this season I've put in five thousand pound, you'd sharp realize that you have a problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if you can afford it I and mean, you cool. don't care about that, fine. But you know, some like, it, it will be a good thing for parents as well. You know, a parent can go in and say, Oh, what's little Timmy been doing? He spent five hundred dollar dues, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Call of Duty's yeah. got a weird one at the minute where it's not loot boxes as such, but there's loads of packs that you can purchase to get better skins for your guns, but they cost like something like 16 quid to get a couple of blueprints, but they're only available for certain weapons that you can have in the game. So it's not like the skin can go on all your guns. Right. So oh, if you wanted to have all these cool looking stuff, then yeah, you probably have to, again, pay hundreds and hundreds just so you can have all these guns looking nice and pretty or however you want them. It's just mad. The, the, Absolutely mad. The worst one I think I've ever encountered is uh, CS Go. Uh, because in that you earn you earn loot boxes at a kind of pretty prodigious rate. Um, you get you get them quite easily, um, but you have to pay to unlock them because you have to buy a key for them. So it, it, it like so every time you go into your profile, there's like this little thing saying you've got ten loot boxes. And it's just oh, like, that's yeah, evil. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not paying twenty five quid for ten keys because they're like two pound fifty each. Uh, I to, would I'd fall for that one. Yeah, to get some, I know they're there. I can I can open it. It's like a FOMO thing. Yeah, but it's like. I'm not paying two pound fifty to open like a common camo for a fucking assault rifle or some shit like that. Oh, it's so fucking predatory. Mm. Uh, Reet, next. Sony's had some other issues with its legacy systems. The PS3 and PS Vita have been uh, having wobblies on the store. There are widespread reports um, all around the world, apparently, of purchased games not downloading properly from the PlayStation Store. It's unclear what the exact cause is. PS3 received a firmware update recently, which could potentially be related. But uh, there are people getting error messages, having to repeatedly try and download it a million times until it starts to actually finally download. Um, it's just not looking good for the legacy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, how many people is this affecting? Is this, Are a lot of people still using their PS3s? Um, I don't know so much about PS3s, but Vita definitely is still um, a popular handheld for a lot of people. Yeah, but isn't that because people are modding it and like putting stuff onto it? Yeah, you can do. But you, again, you still anything you purchase on the store, it's still yeah, a bit of a faff to download if it's playing up. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you would think that like the stores haven't been open this long, so only would like just they would work. That'd be too much to ask. It would be too much to ask. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Oh, my phone's going. Hold on. Hello? Fucking rude. Unprofessional. Uh, yes, mate. Uh, no, I'm in the middle of a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got to go. Huh? Microsoft offered Sony oh, no. 80% of the market share for a 10-year agreement <laughs> for far better terms than Sony would ever get from Activision. Is that oh, right? you dick. They would have had long-term access to Call of Duty. I don't know why you're telling me this now. And the CEO said, of Sony that I don't want a new Call of Duty deal, I just want to block your merger. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I'll speak to you soon once the pod's finished. Bye. He's Sorry done about it that. again. You, you Where were we? You absolute dick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got lost. Um, I did, moving on. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I know I'm in the middle of a pod. Uh, Warner Brothers and Rocksteady have delayed Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, once again, from May to later this year. 
according to a a person familiar. I don't know what that means. A showcase of the game during a PlayStation stream last month was poorly received by fans, wasn't it, Just It was. Mm. And it's also telling that it's delayed, not just, it's not like from May, it's it's, to a certain date. It's delayed to just later this year. As in, they don't know what they're going to do to fix this. Mm. I think, I, I mean... I don't know what they could possibly do with this. I mean, people weren't excited by the gameplay. Some people were, and fine, fair enough. Like, if it looks like your kind of game, great. I wonder if they're going to, like, try taking out some of the Battle Pass elements and the store mm. stuff on it, because that, I mean, that's the one I saw that, like, you know, there was loads of people on Twitter saying, oh, the gameplay looks like it's shite or whatever. And, but there were so many more people going, why have you got a fucking store in this game? <laughs> this game that I mean, we like have Stiggy to pay said, 70 quid to get Stig said wasn't last week about um, the reception to Guardians where Avengers obviously people didn't like the look of the, the characters all that sort of stuff expected more close to the film um, and obviously they can't get the likenesses and then all that furor that came out of how that game played and the missions and end game stuff and then Guardians still came out when it was supposed to and it was actually a relative success critically at least it was um, just a relative yeah, this... success. It sold really well, and people really enjoyed it. I think. I, I think with this, this is different because I don't think people are really complaining that much about like the kind of the story concept or the presentation of the characters. I think people are really complaining about the gameplay. Whereas with the mm. with the Guardians thing, that was different because people were like, "Oh, this is not my Avengers. Where's me, Chris Pratt?" You know. Mm. There's been so, been so many different iterations of DC characters though so far. Whereas Marvel, we've kind of only seen in film form. The the um, actors we're used to. So I think I think people are more open to seeing like sort of different like the B team, shall we say, versions. Yeah, um, I mean it, it it absolutely chilled my expect it chilled my enthusiasm for the game. But let's see what they do. I mean, it was mm. all we can do. Uh, Agreed. Next. Private Divisions pledged that the uh, latest upgrade for the Spacer's Choice edition of the Outer Worlds would run at a smooth 4K 60 frames per second as being premature. Next-gen version of the satirical 2019 RPG released recently has um, already accrued a mostly negative rating on Steam Ooh. with numerous players complaining of performance issues in the newly remastered game. Comments have come as much as it runs far worse than the original version of the game. Um, <laughs> they said the... Improved look of the game is not worth the massive perf drops and stutters that weren't there before. Someone else said, as someone who was playing the OG version right up until this version downloading, I can safely say they've made a right pig's ear of this remake. Nice. And uh, it's also on the consoles as well, allegedly, with the PS5 upgrade, particularly having uh, frame rate issues. I mean, I, I, guess the, I guess the funniest part of that is when... is this- the, the motto for for Spacer's Choice in the game is you've tried the best, now choose the rest. So calling it the Spacer's <laughs> Choice editions, it seems appropriate for this. Maybe I, that's the point. Maybe it's ironic. I mean, I mean the thing is, uh, the, the, uh, the Outer Worlds is, is a great game. It's not quite up to the t- like Fallout tiers, but it's a fun kind mm. of space comedy shooter thing with some good characters and good moments. Um, it didn't really need a next-gen upgrade. It looked fine enough as it was. Mm. And like it's yeah, you know it's it's supposed go. to add all the ray tracing and stuff like that, but yeah, it's like the game's kind of ugly in that kind of double A PS4 era kind of game. It's like it's got a bit of jank to it. It was never a perfectly running game. 
I don't think they needed to do this, and they've just kind of fucked themselves over. Mm. Jumping on the bandwagon a bit. Do you think um, Obsidian may be spreading themselves a little bit thin at the moment? I don't. Th- I don't think there would be much of insi- uh, of, uh, of Obsidian's work in that. I think that's probably more of a private division thing to like right. give it and an, try and give it another lease on life. But I think because they are they, working on a, a fix for it, by the, the way. They they have can't. Yeah, I think Obsidian themselves are working on the sequel at the minute. All right. Okay. Yeah, they are, and they and avowed as well, and yeah. um, grounded. And I think so, it, I think probably another Pillars of Eternity. So maybe they are spreading themselves a bit thin. Yeah, yeah, it's just that, that it's stupid. They could have just left it as it was. It's a game that's perfectly fine as a bit of PS4 jank. Um, or what they should have done is try and focus the, back to being a P, like being back to back to being a PC developer. Yeah, because the games that they made back in the day, which were kind of developed for the PC first, and then I'm going back to like their early RPG stuff. They're great. But we all well, they, they we are all a remember- good studio. We all know that they can do good games. Mm. Oh yeah, but they, 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 they're almost as bad as Bethesda for putting out dodgy games. Yeah. <gasps> I mean, Fallout New Vegas, is you've got to mod the shit out of that to get it to work these days. There were a couple of game breakers as well when it was first um, released in there. I think there was some something to do with like the day and night that cycle. That deserves a remake. New Vegas, yeah. Yeah, it deserves, well, it deserves to be finished. Uh, anyway, sorry, next. <laughs> People have been digging around the uh, NVIDIA driver and have discovered that the references to Counter-Strike 2 were found. And new evidence suggests that this was not a mistake. In fact, sources are now claiming that Counter-Strike 2 is indeed on its way and currently a high priority at Valve. The plans to launch a beta perhaps this month or next. Hey, this was a surprise. Um, but great. I mean, I mean, I mean, Counter-Strike has been going for decades now at this point. Um, I don't know if many players, I mean, players will want Counter-Strike 2 or they'll want a new version of it, but I don't think it's one of those games that people look for, like, updated graphics or anything like that. They certainly don't look for updated maps, because when I used to play it, they all just used to fucking play on dust. Just the same level, over and over again, because that's the one that everyone can get the good sight lines on. Pissed me off. There's a lot of good maps in that game, but no, everyone's just voting for dust. Nah. Sorry, I, I appear to have issues with Counter-Strike. Stuck <laughs> 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 a nerf there. Clearly. Yeah. Feel free to vent. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I'll be interested to see what they do. It's just nice to see Valve making games. Although, I'm kind of half expecting it to be riddled with microtransactions again, like Counter-Strike Go, uh, or T- Team Fortress 2, or Dota. Oh, oh. Makes you sad, doesn't it? Oh, doesn't it? <laughs> Not like the good old days. Where's Half-Life 3, you bastards? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next uh, one of the guys at Eurogamer has recently discovered that the voice of the merchant in Resident Evil 4 what are you buying uh, is not being voiced by um, the previous guy Mercia um, he uh, didn't voice the remake of Leon in Resident Evil 2 either so it may be not come as a surprise but that was quite an iconic character in Resident Evil 4 and that little uh, quote of his was fantastic he's talking about Matt Mercer is that what it is? It's got Mercier is the way it's written here. Oh. I didn't know it was he was the one that did it. Well, I know Matt Mercer's done Leon before, but... Um, oh, you're probably right. Resident Evil 4... I'm not going to doubt you. Remake voice actors. Uh, 
so the merchant is done by Shigeru Chiba. Um, I, I mean, who did it? Who did them in the original one? Uh, so Paul, Paul Mercier was Leon Kennedy in the original version. Ah, there you go. Yeah, uh, and he did the voice of the merchant. He also did the merchant, did he? He did. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that was a disappointing way to run around things, but okay, fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, has, has anyone has anyone played this? Is Dead? live podcasting, people? <laughs> Pre-recorded live podcasting. Uh, has anyone Shh. played the demo yet? Not yet. No. Ooh. I've got it downloaded, but. I've got it downloaded. Uh, I haven't played it yet. I, I, I kind of, I want to, I want to, but at the same time, it's just like, uh, I, I, I want to go into it blind when it comes, but also I'm, I, I'm getting, kind I of, do. getting kind of worried that like the like, state of the remakes and like, is this just going to be like bang average, but pretty? I've got this I'm worry. It's, it's like this anxiety. Got this anxiety, you know? I haven't played Resi 4 before either. I'm excited for it. But at the same time, at least I've got nothing to compare it to, though. So you can always play the original. It's thing. still available, obviously, isn't it? So it's if people are disappointed. You can always go back to the original. Yeah, true. Yeah. So from what I heard people saying, it's more game. of a um, it is more of a puzzle than a less and less action than the original. So I mean, I, I, I mean, the demo is supposed to be pretty actiony because it's a, it's the Chainsaw Man, isn't it? Mm, I don't know. Apparently, it's, uh, there's a secret ultra hard version in the demo as well. Yeah, probably. Apparently, you need to work Oodles to get it going. Well, up for that. According to Stig, it needs work to get going on the Steam Deck, though. Apparently, it's a bit, a bit rough on the old deck. Put that down to it being a very high powered <laughs> game, though. Yeah. Uh, right, okay, next. Uh, Lintz Works, the studio behind the uh, stealth action games Aragami and Aragami 2, has announced its imminent closure following what it calls a particular difficult couple of years. It was founded in 2014 and released its debut title, Aragami. Um, two years later, it proved successful enough that a sequel arrived in 2021. The studio revealed it started working on a brand new adventures in September last year. However, a message shared on Twitter has announced it will effectively stop development of all new projects indefinitely starting this April. Oh, that's a shame. Arag- Aragami's good. Yeah, great game. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe Microsoft could acquire them, and then get sued, <laughs> <laughs> harming the gamers again. Yeah, they get sued, well, sued get sued by IO Interactive, uh, so that they don't have dom- domination over the stealth action genre. <laughs> uh, next, our news came out this week that Starfield has been cancelled. Uh, sorry, delayed to uh, September the 6th, which hasn't surprised anyone, really. No. Um, do you know what? I'm a little bit concerned. I was a little bit concerned before. I'm a little bit more concerned because I think an initial... I, I, you know, a lot of people praise delays and say, you know, as long as it comes out in a fixed state. And I think, yeah, that goes mm. for one delay. But if it's now been delayed once, twice down the line, that to me spells development hell. And, you know, so obviously Cyberpunk got delayed and delayed and delayed. And that didn't turn out for the better either. It's it's just that it didn't work. Still delayed. So, although there was a, there was a new tra- a cinematic that came out for it that looked very nice. And a little speech from Todd Howard. And that you can see them playing the game in the background. And what they were playing in the background looks um, 
kind of vastly improved from what we saw before. Yeah, in but the, I, uh, in the fifteen minute thing, I wouldn't trust too much on that though, because that could just be a vertical slice that they've got to work really well. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I I, I do share your <laughs> the concern. one bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do share your concern with it, especially after Cyberpunk. Like we were all very excited for that game and incredibly let down by it. Mm. And I know it's in a working state now, but like you know, it needed another two years in the oven to get going. Yeah, and I worry this might be the same thing. But you know, we haven't seen. I mean. It'll be on Game Pass anyway, so I'm not going to be out any money when it comes out, but still. Exactly. And then... Um, I, want it to, I, I want it to be good. I know Oodles is desperate for it to be bad. Yeah, I know. The, the, the one thing that, that I'm hoping is that Phil Spencer is really making sure it's polished. Like, it's the first time they're working to somebody else's standards now. So yeah. I'm hoping that it's more that's the case rather than anything kind of more sinister but i mean we might well he's got some gonna, leverage hasn't he <laughs> yeah yeah but that we're gonna see a deep dive in um june is it well yeah, i think june it's when 11th yeah around 11th 13th when they normally do their e3 presentation so we're gonna have a deep dive dive then so i guess we'll um we'll see what there is but it did look like it was 60 frames per second whereas before it looked like 30 so hopefully hopefully yeah, I'm going to enjoy it anyway. I know despite, you are. Despite everyone. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's you just enjoying all of Todd's love. Yes, absolutely. Uh, next. World of Film and TV. Batman Cape Crusader will now be released by Amazon. The series from J.J. Abrahams, Matt Rees and Bruce Timm was previously developed for HBO Max. Um, the studio has already ordered two seasons of the series. The animated series hails from Bruce Timm, Abrahams and Reeves, was sold to a streaming rival as part of Warner Brothers' um, recent sellout. Discovery's efforts to monetize content by selling projects to third-party developers, uh, sorry, buyers. Batman Cape Crusader was first announced in 21 and is said to harken back to Tim's 1990s Batman, the animated series. It stands as a bit of a bench- benchmark for the Dark Knight's animated storytelling. Comic book scribe Ed Brubaker, who is amazing, is among the creative team and ran the writer's room and serves Tim's right hand on the 10-episode first season. There you go. I'm into it. Amazon's been crushing it with their animated content recently. And the fact that it's, you know, it's sort of a spiritual follow-on from the, from the animated series, great. I've seen, like, a couple of pictures of it. The art style looks fantastic. Mm. Well, did you, um, does it say who's voicing Batman? Do we know who's voicing Batman yet, or...? Don't wasn't know. expecting that question, so I haven't got the. <laughs> I mean, if it's <laughs> if it's only just been announced, that it's going to Amazon. Maybe they don't even have anyone yet. But yeah, I think I think they finished writing it. They haven't cast it or started production proper yet. But yeah, I'm into it. I like it. Uh, next, speaking of Batman, Beetlejuice Two is eyeing to begin filming in late May or early June with Tim Burton expected to direct. Wednesday star Jenna Ortega is also looking to stay in the Tim Burton family. The actor is circling a role in Beetlejuice 2. Multiple sources have told the Hollywood Reporter. Right, I'm sorry, but did anybody want this? Is there I another think... story to tell for Beetlejuice? I think there's a, uh, a load of 35 to 40-year-old <laughs> hot topic wearing uh, people that probably do want, they want this. <laughs> is, it, is it you, Candy? Is it, is it's it you? me. It's, it's me you. and my mates. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm open to it. I don't have much hope for it. I don't think Tim Burton's been on his game for the last fifteen years. Well, I mean, um, 
we we all remember what Dark Shadows was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, less said, the better. Yeah, I don't see this being good. I mean, I, I, I think, didn't someone say that, um, that um, they're trying to get the original Beetlejuice actor back, whose name is escaping me right now? Um, Michael, Michael Keaton? Michael That's Keaton, it, Keaton. Yeah. I think it was Michael something. I don't know what I, My brain focused on Chickless, and I know it's not right. Um, <laughs> He'd make but, a good one. No, he wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I know they're trying to get Michael, I know they're trying to get Michael Keaton back, but like, it's like, is there any enthusiasm for this except from the mid thirties to early forties goth people? I think there might be a, re- a bit of a resurgence, actually, especially if General Tager is going to be in it, because I heard the rumor she was going to be Lydia's daughter. So I think maybe like the younger crowd that did watch Wednesday and have got a bit more of an interest in Tim Burton now, actually, you know, maybe it will get worked. Yeah, maybe. But I think it's almost definite that Michael Keaton would be on board because he said repeatedly that he would love to play Beetlejuice again. Yeah. Um, not to mention it doesn't matter how much he's aged because he's un- under all that makeup. And I think the first time around, you could tell that he had an absolute blast filming it. So I, I, think, I, th- I think if anything, the trouble with the original Beetlejuice was that you didn't see Beetlejuice enough. He just wasn't in it. So hopefully they'll actually put him in a bit more this time. He's only in for like 12 minutes or something. Yeah. And that's after the audience asked for him to be in it more. So the original cut of that, even less. So Beetlejuice 2, now with more Beetlejuice. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Beetlejuice thing. Beetlejuice harder? Or? <laughs> yeah, juice harder. <laughs> uh, next. Funko Pop is chucking an estimated 30 to 36 million of unsold stock into a landfill. The company claims that storing the excess inventory is costing it a fortune. Thus, it's willing to write off the figurines and funnel them into the ground where they'll remain until the end of time. Imagine that in the future. People digging that up and like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's some ancient burial ground. They used to worship these things. I saw this. And it's absolutely disgusting. Like, I mean, I, I used to collect Funko Pops and I've kind of been out of it for a long mm. time. But anytime like, I walk into like game or into Be More Geek or anything like that, and you see these huge walls of fucking all these characters that are unsold. Mm-hmm. And like, and like you think you, you look at them like what, why why are you doing like these random side background characters from My Hero Academia or some shit like that? You know, it's just like they do so many variants of the same characters or so many random characters. And you think who's buying this? And it's clear nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think I mean to begin with, people did collect. Did people like people did buy them as collector's items? But the thing is, even the rarer ones, they're so mass produced. And there's people out there like me that keep them in the boxes and everything. Like toys don't, the Star Wars thing is never going to happen again with toys. Like things are so much more disposable now. Toys aren't made to the same quality as they were. Stop buying things, stop buying toys as an investment because they are just so mass produced and they end up in tips like this and we need less plastic in the world, ideally. Um, But that aside... Why are they not giving them to charity? Why are they not giving them for like these Toys for Tots charities that collect present like gifts and stuff for kids at Christmas that don't, that wouldn't normally get presents? Because by by taking them out of circulation, then they're increasing the rarity of some of them. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why gross. they're not putting them on sale or donating them to charities or whatever. Um, That's gross. Yeah, it is gross. And I think Funko as a company are a bit gross for this kind of stuff. Like, even just like you look at the amount of different lines of things that they like, they absolutely milk every franchise that they can ink a deal with. 
yeah. seen what I seen what was what was in these new ones that Funko Suda, and it's just a little figurine that comes in a little Suda can, and that's it. <laughs> but it costs more than a Funko Pop. What? And it's smaller, and it's just like, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> so yeah, no. Not they into don't do it. a Nuka Cola one, though, do they? No, I oh, have right. looked for you. Oh, no, fuck it then. <laughs> <laughs> If I see one, I'll point it out to you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Next. Uh, Some names for you. David Johnson from Industry, Archie Renault from Shadow and Bone, Spike Fern from Aftersun, and newcomer Eileen Wu have all signed on to star alongside Kaylee Spaney and Isabella Merced in the new Alien film that Fede Alvarez from Evil Dead is directing for 20th Century Studios. It's the ninth entry in the iconic sci-fi horror series. Apparently a group of young people on a distant world will find themselves in a confrontation with the most terrifying life form in the universe. Harvey Weinstein? And Ridley Scott's on to produce. Hmm. Uh, I mean, as long as Ridley Scott's not directing it, great. Um, (laughs) Because he he should not be allowed near a camera. Um, Yeah, cool. Give us a new alien film. Make it not made by the people who made the original. See what happens. I don't have high hopes for it, but, you know, pray approve that you could do it with the Predator, so. Is it sequel, prequel? Do we know anything? It sounds like it's a new thing. Right. I think it's, yeah, just just judging by that, a group of young people on a distant world find themselves confrontation with the most terrifying life form in the universe. That would say to me that it's probably kind of... Terraforming. Soft reboot, effectively, I think. Mm. Or, 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 Or maybe kind of slightly related sequel or intercall or something like that. Yeah. Because it gets to a point with the alien universe where like lots of people know about it. Mostly Wayland Utani. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I I'm interested to see what, what comes out with it. Uh if, uh next. John Bernthal is returning to his most punishing role. Uh-huh. The actor will reprise Frank Castle, also known as the anti-hero, the Punisher. Marvel Studios' Daredevil Born Again for Disney+. Plus. He joins Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio in the series, which begins shooting in New York this month. It's a departure from all the other Marvel series. It will come at six or nine, uh, sorry, six or nine episodes per season. Born Again is planned as a whopping 18-episode epic. Jesus. Writers and exec producers Matt Corman and Chris Ord are behind the show, which is expected to come out in spring of 2024. I mean... John Bernthal was great in the dead, in the uh, Punisher uh, show on Netflix. That was a fantastic show. Mm. He still got, blows my right. hair back that some of these things are on Disney. Just the way he presents it, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, the, the Punisher wants to kill everyone for killing his wife or whatever it was uh, on Disney Plus. Yeah. How <laughs> <laughs> we seen to Disney? I mean, I mean, the, the, the Netflix Punisher show was brutal. Like yeah. it was one of the. Heaviest what, Cinderella? Cards. Here's the Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Did you know, Imagine if the recommendation engine goes wrong on that and they've just watched, like, Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special or something, then it's like, now for you and the family, Daredevil born again. Oh, I hope that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that fills me with joy. <laughs> uh, next. These are not the plans you're looking for. Star Wars has had a bit of a shake-up with Kevin Falafel and uh, Patty Jenkins' movie Shelved. Taika Waititi is also looking perhaps to star in his own film as well. 
Lucasfilm chief Kathleen Kennedy announced that the Wonder Woman helmer Patty Jenkins would direct the next Star Wars movie as a one-off adventure Rogue Squadron. But in September 22, Disney pulled the title from its scheduled December 23 release. And sources with the knowledge of the production say it's no longer active. Variety has also learned that a possible Star Wars feature produced by Marvel Studios' Kevin Falafalafel is also no longer in active development either. Sources say that Thor Love and Thunder filmmaker Taika Waititi continues to work on his possible Star Wars feature and he would most likely have a part in it as well, similar in prominence to a standout role as an imaginary Adolf Hitler in his Oscar-winning 2019 feature, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I mean, Patty Jenkins... They can't get it right, can they? No. I mean, Patty Jenkins has proved Wonder Woman 84 that she should not be allowed near a camera. Mm. So, fine. Um, I was surprised that Kevin Feige would have enough mental space to get a Star Wars film going despite everything he does with Marvel. Um, And I'm surprised that after Thor Love and Thunder people still have confidence in Taika Waititi. Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, that's kind of been his only stinker though, hasn't it? It was a big stinker though. It was a big stinker. And it's hard to think that up as well. Let's hope not. I I haven't lost faith in him yet. I think, you know, it it was one stinker. Big stinker, but Happens to the best of them. I know the Star Wars fans consistently go off on Kathleen Kennedy and think that she's terrible for the franchise, but I, I, okay, fine. If the, I mean, maybe the films weren't looking to be that good. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd like a Rogue Squadron film. The Rogue Squadron stories from the old extended universe novels were great. Yeah. Rogue um, Squadron, yes. Patty Jenkins, no. Yeah. <laughs> plus, plus, also, like, more... If they can do more kind of one-off Star Wars adventure films... You know, like in in the vein of like you know them doing kind of Mandalorian or Andor or stuff. You know, where you see more of the wider universe. It's not just the Skywalkers. You know, like Rogue One is probably one of my favorite Star Wars films after Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. this is excellent. But just uh, like with most things, the um, the TV series are killing it way more than the films are at the moment. Yeah, yeah, everyone's been raving about them. Apart from Book of Boba Fett, apparently everyone hated that. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from the bits, the, apart from the bits Pedro Pascal was in, <laughs> I think um, Obi One was kind of mixed mixed reviews as well. I enjoyed it though. It was alright. I haven't seen any of them actually. I really, I really do need to watch The Mandalorian. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I it is good. I haven't seen the new series yet, but I've seen it. I've really enjoyed. Uh, next, Eddie Azard, who recently invited to become an MP in Sheffield, has announced that she is changing her name to Susie. And it's something wanted to do for, she's wanted to do for 51 years. The 61-year-old says the name chain fulfills a dream that she's had since the age of 10. I'm Eddie. There's another name I'm going to add in as well, which is Susie, which I wanted to be since I was 10. I'm going to be Susie Eddie Izzard. That's how it's going to roll. There you go. Fair enough. Yeah. Good for her. I like, I like Eddie, though. I think that's a cool name. It goes both ways as well. But um, yeah. I noticed you correct yourself there by saying he, not um, she. Um, uh, so and they done and terrible for it. No, no, I mean they. I'll say they um, have said it doesn't matter. In in their case, not for everyone. In in their case, they don't mind if you slip up. They don't mind if you call them Eddie. They don't mind if you call them Susie. You know, it's it's cool. It's all good. Yeah. The um, uh, I think I think isn't she sticking? I think as a performer, I think she's sticking with Eddie Izzard. I think. I think I think so because because that's the recognizable brand, I guess, for her. Yeah, it makes sense for all the legacy of the stand-up shows. So you see, you see a poster on the wall for Susie Izzard. You're going, who's that? You know, that's a, that's a, 
Yeah. Maybe. And I, th- I think for the dramatic roles, I, th- I don't think I've ever seen them playing a, a female role. Plenty of, play, plenty of male roles, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I, yeah. think, I think just sort of classic gender fluid on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, more power to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so next. Uh, this is by Stiggy. He says that Christopher Paolini is releasing a new Inheritance Cycle book after the fourth one that came out in 2011. So that's quite a gap. Yeah, well, he's been writing other things. And um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I really enjoyed To Sleep in a Sea of Stars, which was a sci-fi book. So uh, I've heard good things about The Inheritance Cycle. I need to actually read it. This fourth one's called Murtaugh, which everyone has made the joke is the fifth book going to be called Riggs. You made the joke, didn't you, Vicky? I did. <laughs> the joke everyone else made. <laughs> like the Mystic Meg one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> oh I made that one. <laughs> uh, next. Well, on music, sort of. Uh, if you've seen the uh, Hawkeye series, it began with uh, the sharpshooting hero attending a Broadway performance of Rogers the Musical with a hilarious, intentionally cheesy, Avengers-centric musical number, Save the City, which was penned by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. Uh, it's clear, apparently, that fans would clamour for an actual stage performance of the all-singing, oh. all-dancing Captain America extravaganza. Oh, no. And yes, it's happening, as long as you can make your way to California. Disney has confirmed that this summer will bring performances of an actual Rogers the Musical to the Hyperion stage at California Adventure Park in the original Disneyland Resort. It's described as a limited-time engagement and will be a one-act show, which does imply it will feature additional musical numbers beyond just Save the City. Oh, God. That sounds like it'll be terrible. <laughs> it, it has have the potential you seen, have you seen to be so Have you seen that? No, I haven't, no. It is quite funny, actually, because there's a great shot of um, Jeremy Renner sitting there as Hawkeye watching the show, just kind of like, uh, where am I in this? <laughs> and I think they get some character to do it absolutely F all on stage. It's quite funny. Yeah. Okay. No, uh, fine. Sure. <laughs> Disney clearly happy to spend their money, I guess. <laughs> uh, and if you thought that was weird, Weird World of Web, a poll of 2,000 women has ranked Jeremy Clarkson as the UK's sexiest man. The Diddley Squat Farm owner. Candy, as a representative <laughs> of womankind here, we need to have a conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't speak for all women, but I can't see it, I can't see it myself. Who else the, was uh, on the list? Well, the farm owner and grand tour host beat off competition from the likes of Idris Elba and Ryan Reynolds to the crown. So I'll give you the I'll give you the list. I, who, who were they asking? The top ten is as follows: Jeremy Clarkson, Gary Lineker, ooh, Mike Tyndall, Ryan Reynolds, Martin Lewis, Martin Lewis, Martin Lewis, Idris Elba, Vladimir Zelensky. <laughs> Michael Arteta and Charlie Mullins. That's a list. And where is my name, to be fair? Why am I not on there? And why did I not win? How many women did you say they asked? 2,000. Were they all in Weatherspoons on a Sunday afternoon? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for fuck's sake. (laughs) How is Martin Lewis above Idris Elba? Yeah, well, people in, people appreciate a man with that's good with money these days. Uh, I, I'm going to say, Biggie, you've left this bit out of it. 
IllicitEncounters.com, a dating site for extramarital affairs, asked 2,000 of its female <laughs> members to score a 50-strong list of this year's most famous culturally relevant names from 1 to 10, based on what Illicit Encounters calls their quote-unquote affair factor. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> So they're saying that Jeremy Clarkson is basically, he has the face of somebody that's going to cheat on his wife. Yeah. Well, it's all that, all that, all that someone, someone's wife would want to cheat with. If you've been boffing, I've caught you. It's that money saving expert guy. <laughs> Fair enough, crack on. <laughs> Went for a bit of uh, advice. I'm doing it for the family, love. You'll thank me in the end. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Elicitencounters.com. Seriously, people, keep it in your pants. Wow. I, this is one of those things that I just like people get up to whatever they get up to in the bedroom. I think it's pretty shitty when someone puts together a business that is based around having an affair. Yeah, not to mention I can't get one boyfriend, let alone three or four. <laughs> Maybe I need to go on this website. <laughs> oh, let's not open that can of worms. That's not... <laughs> Candy's, Candy's dating life is is not something we want to want to spill all over the podcast. No, it's not. It's not great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Moving swiftly on. Oh, we, God, um, more. Yeah, if you think uh, the Last of Us scenario could actually happen, it allegedly could be worse. Whiskey fungus or Bodonia. Companisensis, there you go. Nailed it. Thrives on ethanol vapors and tends to cover nearby services with a black sooty crust that is hard to remove. Several lawsuits have been filed over time against alcohol makers in different countries. A local court in Lincoln County, Tennessee, recently stopped the construction of a new barrel warehouse for Jack Daniels, the world's biggest selling brand of American whiskey. Um, yeah, this stuff is quite nasty, apparently. It's how I'd want to go. Hmm. So does it make you ill, or is it just ruin the whiskey, or what does it do? Over the years, several lawsuits have been filed against alcohol makers by residents of different countries to claim that the whiskey fungus not only covers houses, trees, and outdoor furniture with the black crust, but also harms property value and adversely affects their um, livelihood. When whiskey or any other spirit is kept inside a cask for maturing, a small amount of it evaporates into the atmosphere through the wood. Up to 2% of the alcohol leaves the casks that way every year. So what so what you're telling me is this is the most spurious connection to the last of us ever because it's not actually about a fungus that's going to kill everybody it's no. ru- it's it's ruining just some people, ruining some people's ability to sell a shitty house in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Fine. <laughs> but it gets worse there's more. This story is a bit of a So Japanese police have arrested three people over sushi terror. Viral, unhygienic pranks that are threatening the world-famous feature of sushi conveyor belt restaurants. Last month, a video of a man licking a soy sauce bottle on a sushi conveyor went viral, sparking outrage. In the video, he could be seen squashing sushi dishes at Kura Sushi Restaurant Branch. Since then, dozens of other videos have uh, proliferated, sparking public concern. Incidences filmed include diners, many of whom are children and young people, spoiling others' orders by touching sushi dishes passing by. Mingers. I just would never eat at those places. I just would not. 
I mean, it's 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 absolutely rank. It, it's it's something that I, I kind of always wanted to do, but then coronavirus happened. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm not having my food broadcast to the open air of a restaurant as it comes by. Um, but it's. I mean, I think it's a, the Japanese police are taking it quite seriously because the Japanese have a thing about hygiene. Like they're insane worse. for it. One video emerged last month showing a customer putting wasabi on another's dish while another person licked the presented chopsticks oh, and God. another was seen rubbing saliva on passing sushi. Uh, I mean, nah. this, the wasabi one's quite funny. <laughs> and that's yeah. a proper prank. The saliva, not so much. No. no. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, just fucking... TikTok's ruining the world. We need to like stop the TikToks. I think that's where oh, this is all coming from. But you're right. The authorities are taking it really seriously because obviously they get a lot of tourists coming in and because they want to try these sushi sort of conveyor belt things. Yeah. But yeah, after since uh, since 2020, it's it's not my cup of tea. No, no, no. I do like that if you order your sushi, they just actually bring it to you now as if it's a normal restaurant. In our local one, they still put it on the conveyor conveyor belt, but it. It goes around really fast, and then it kind of skids to a halt right in front of you, and you have about ten seconds to grab it before it fucks off again. <laughs> like including your drinks as well. Like it's like two cans of coke will come flying at you as well. So 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 when when you and Acid Pearl are in your sushi and you twat it off your face on 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 cheap wine, it's a it's a real race to the finish to get to get you. Oh, oh could yeah. you imagine the, the video footage of Candy and Acid Pearl doing that? We <laughs> <laughs> need to make this happen for the YouTube. <laughs> no, we're the uh, ones doing the pranks, the wasabi pranks. Marvellous. Remind me never to go eating with you. Um, right, is that it then, Biggie? Any more news? That's it, sir. Okay, so you'll notice, everybody, that it's a long news section this week. That's mostly because Biggie's incapable of editing, but also because there are only three of us this week. So, uh, yeah, you get more news, uh, more bang for your buck, but we're going to go straight into the Nexus now. And Biggie's talked for long enough, so Candy, what have you been up to this week? Um, well, not that much, but what I did watch was... Uh... <laughs> I told you you like this, Biggie. Pamela, a love story. And this is a kind of documentary in her own words about Pamela Anderson. And it's basically um, it's basically a response to, um, do you remember last year Pam and Tommy came out on yeah. uh, Disney yeah. Plus? And she you was... You that, didn't you? I did too, and I really enjoyed it. And I'll get into that in a, in a minute. But um, Pamela Anderson was famously unhappy about this... Um, series coming out because it basically revolves around the sex tape that was released. Um, And now I think that actually that series handled it quite well and it was quite um, kind towards Pamela Anderson in that they did present it like, you know, Tommy Lee was a rock star. When this sex tape was released, it did, it just shot his career. It made him look like, you know, an absolute player kind of thing. for him, it was no skin of a, off his nose, but actually, for a woman, it did ruin her career. And um, so for her, it was kind of like re- reliving this time in her life. So like when the video was released, it was super hurtful. And then 20, 25 years later, whatever it was, this TV show came out about it as well. And it for her, it was like reliving it all again. Um, so Pamela, Pamela, a love story is her just talking about the experiences and a lot of it is very much, um, it, it does correlate with the TV show, but 
it goes it, it, the first the first thing you see so the first shot of her is they're filming her um from behind you can just see her head she's going about her daily life kind of thing and then they pan round um and she's got no makeup on and she's still like stunningly beautiful and everything but it's it's kind of a shock to see her when you're so used to seeing her with you know done up in the kind of 90s style and everything and it's it's actually what a really What does she do? What, what does she do after that tape came out? Because you're right, I don't remember her really doing anything. So she did. I, t- I can't remember if, but so she had a she had a movie out called Barbed Wire, and I'm not sure if yeah, that was before that. or after the sex tape. I think it was after, and it ended up bombing. Um, to no one's real surprise, I don't think. But at the time, they did think it was going to do quite well. I think probably it must have been after the sex tape because Pam and Tommy Tommy were all over the news. Um, but it was, it's a really nice documentary, actually. It's, it's nothing, if you know about Motley Crue and you know about the history of Pamela Anderson, it doesn't have any like hot takes. There's no kind of new revelations or anything, but it is literally just in her own words from her perspective, how interviewers used to, so at one point she sort of says, you know, I used to say my tits had the career. I was just along for the ride kind of thing. And it goes back <laughs> through some of the interviews and every single interviewer asked her about her tits. It's, it's, but the, the trouble is she goes along with it because I think that she thinks that that's how she has to um, present herself. She has to go along with it. And she was saying, actually, I've, I did feel like the butt of jokes at all times. And I did want, I did have other things to say. And I did have messages and I did have charities I wanted to work for, but everyone was like constantly focusing on that. And she's like, in the, in the end, you just get beaten down by it. Um, so, yeah. It's hard it, though, because you've got things like Baywatch, haven't you, where they're running on the beach and yeah. it's slowed down while they're running, particularly with the red suits on, you know. It's just kind of, it was a thing of its time. And yeah, it was. I think, it was, I think even in its time, it's not it was still aged a bit well, creepy. is it? Mm. Mm. But, you know, it talks about the talk, her court case as well when they tried to get this. Um, she, even her sons um, say that they wish that she had taken some money because I think it was, it wasn't Playboy, I think it was Hustler had actually called her to buy, uh, called her and Tommy to buy the rights to the sex tape. And she said, no, I don't want to sell it. I just want the tape back. It's a personal thing. Mm. And, it, you know, it, it didn't, all these celebrity sex tapes that, accidentally get leaked when obviously they don't they use it to further their career but she didn't you can tell that she was deeply hurt by it and it did ruin her career and it was it was a holiday tape and you know it was a really personal moment and you can say what you want about their whirlwind whirlwind romance and everything but actually you can tell that they were in love and doing things that people in love do and they were young people and they were just having fun but it, it was just devastating to them and they even when I think, what interviewer was it? Maybe, um, I can't remember. But anyway, they were sort of joking about this sex tape and she's like, well, why are you laughing? This is devastating to us. But then yeah. she just kind of laughs, laughs it off again just because what else can she do? But you no, know, it's, it's a sweet little documentary and I think she comes over really well. So she's actually living um, back in Canada now with her parents. She, she moved back, I think, before... Um, around the time of Corona to look after her parents and she's just stayed there. And um, yeah, she's just got a really nice little life. And ultimately she's tried to make it work with um, other partners and stuff, but she said she just 
can't get over not being able to make it work was the father of her children. So Tommy, she's like, I can never get back with Tommy, but I can never get over the fact that we couldn't make it work either. So she's she comes over really nice. She comes over really humble and really quite charming and warm and just with a funny little naughty side. I, I really warmed to her watching it. But it was cute. Nice little uh, documentary. And she finally gets to talk about it in her own words as opposed to having other people talk mm. about it on her behalf. Th- th- that's what I mean. I think it's like, regardless of whether she has anything new to say or anything, it was her choice to speak out about it, which is what it should have been in the first place. Yeah, because she, she didn't sign off on Pam and Tommy, did she? She wasn't even told about it. Neither right. was Tommy Lee. They didn't even know about it until it was coming out. So I think it says also, you know, there's a clip of Tommy being interviewed about it. He's like, yeah, right on, you know, release it kind of thing. I can't wait to see it. And then again, she was just, she was super upset by it. She was like, it's reliving the past. It's going back to a time I don't want to remember. And um, Tommy had texted her and just saying, don't let it upset you as much as the first time round. So, yeah, sad for her. But at least, yeah, at least she has managed to talk about it herself now. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Good for her. Uh, Rita, I will go next. Um, so I, I've been reading a book this week. I'm about halfway through it. Um, and I'm kind of gutted oodles as none because this is, this is going to be right up his street when, uh, when I describe the components of this book. So it's called Iron Widow by Shiran J. Zhao, who is a, uh, they're a Canadian, uh, uh, youth, a young adult science fiction, uh, science fantasy writer. This, the blurb on the back of it basically describes it as imagine this, imagine the handmaid's tale meets Pacific Rim. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's hyperfeminism with mechs. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the 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 book itself is kind of it's 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 a rough retelling of um of the rise of Wu Zetian, who was um the Chinese, uh, Empress of China in the late 600s. Um, and it's set in... So the, the, the book follows uh, a young girl called Wu Zetian who um, lives in a nation of, of Huaxia, which is a futuristic reimagining of medieval China, uh, which is constantly under attack by alien creatures, Hunduns, as opposed to the Huns. Yeah. <laughs> Hundun wing. Yeah. Uh, aided by mysterious and unseen gods known as the Heavenly Council, humanity has recovered from a devastating attack ages ago that forced civilization to rebuild. Humans have learned to harvest the bodies of defeated Hunduns to create giant fighting mechas called chrysalises. So this version of China um, is basically, it, 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 it's hyper-exaggerated for what people generally believe China to be. Um, and, you know, there is a whole thing where women don't have the best time in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this kind of this idea of China has been like it's been destroyed and then kind of rebuilt and they're in a kind of an advanced it's like medieval but almost but more advanced like they have technology as well um, w- women are explicitly in this book chattel like it's often re- like it's referred to um, like women specifically having a monetary value oh god um, <laughs> the, there was a lot of talk with um, with uh, Zetian herself having bound feet so that whole thing where they break the feet and fold them in on themselves and it's yeah. horrendous and painful. Um, the but the the, the big th- the, the big thing. So the the way the way these chrysalises work. So they're piloted 
generally by men, who can release their chi uh, in the five classical Asian elements. Uh, the pilots are treated like celebrities by the media and adoring public, but they, the pilots rely on concubines, who are female cool pilots who supply them with additional chi at the cost of their own lives. So basically the, 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 the male pilot is flying this thing, but to do some of like, the extra powers that the chrysalises have, they need more energy, more of this chi energy than they can supply, so they just drain it from a woman that's strapped to them. So the women are batteries, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- there are situations where you get male-female parents that don't risk killing the concubine. These are called balanced matches. They're rare and treated like celebrity marriages. So even when the, w- when the female partner is powerful in this world, they are still treated as, it, it, it's still treated as you belong to the pilot. So the, the start of the story is, um, is Zetin uh, getting herself ready because she's enlisted as a concubine because her older sister died as the co-pilot of, a, of, a fa- of, of like one of the top-scoring Chrysalis pilots, and she wants revenge, and she wants to murder the fuck out of this guy. <laughs> and it is really, really angry vengeance. Um, because, and, and, and what the book does, and I quite like this, is it, it tells both sides of it. So, like, she, Zetin, explicitly hates a lot of men because the way men have treated her. And it's not until kind of halfway through the book she kind of meets, some, meets a man who defies her expectations, in, in, not in a kind of like super ultra romantic kind of way, like cliche, cliche kind of way. But he's a man who isn't an animal, who doesn't treat women like shit, doesn't rape women, doesn't attack women. Um, he's a big, dangerous person, but only dangerous for like people who wrong women. And so like, she then kind of discovers feminism through his eyes, but then he also discovers confidence through her because they become kind of a balanced match. Um, but it's fucking polemic. It's angry. She wants to kill everybody. And the, and it is it, it it is written for a teen audience, but actually I think it's it's fine just as a just mark it as a science fantasy novel. Mm. It's unlike like a lot of the Chinese fiction I've read. It's not overly overly interested in the workings of China and like you know at this point there's no communist party of China. This is a different world effectively. So you don't get a lot of the kind of political wranglings that you get with a lot of Chinese fiction. Um, but you get some kind of descriptions of impressive battles. Uh, the uh, the you you find out a lot about the mechas, these chrysalises, and it's just it's a really bizarre combination of things, but it kind of works, <laughs> and I, I, I'm into it. And like, I, I mean, Shiran Jie Zhao is is a new author. This was their first book, came out in 2021. Um, it was on the bestsellers list for like 34 weeks. Um, hmm. it it's it's like they've exploded out of nowhere, and like before this, like they hadn't. They haven't really done anything like they're a cosplayer, you know? They've written oh, stuff. Cool. But yeah, they're they're um they're yeah, they're a they're a cosplayer from Canada of Chinese descent. And yeah, they are, they are killing it really. Like this book is really fucking good. You know, um, when you first said it was like a mix between the Handmaid's Tale and Pacific Rim, I thought, is this gonna be one of my movie rewrites one day? Because it <laughs> Sounds like something. <laughs> it's a weird combo. <laughs> it is. It is a weird combo, but it. I mean, it kind of works. I mean, that's just like how one reviewer put it on like the the praise thing on the back of the book. Um, but it, no, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I think it's it's a really interesting book. It's definitely a concept I would have never considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of nice to see as well. Like, it it explores like 
um, like Zetin's desire for revenge and this kind of pure anger that she has. And it also does frame that as not necessarily a good thing for her. Right. It's like, you know, killing all the men in the world is not going to help her. It's not going to bring her sister back. Yeah. And like, she even has things that, you know, she has, she, she'll have dreams where she sees her sister and her sister's like, keep going. Don't let yourself get killed by these people. Keep going. And, and stuff like that. And, and like for a lot of the first kind of chunk of the book, she's very prepared to die as long as she gets revenge for her sister kind of thing. Mm. Um, or the kind of being in battles and st- with the Hundons, and that gives her a reason to live. So I would check it out. Def- check out at least check out the audiobook version of it. Um, but you know, it's it, it's good. It's not a complicated book, um, but it's an interesting world that um, that Zhao's written, and I would recommend people have a listen to it or have a read of it. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Uh, so Biggie, do you want to round us off then? Yeah, very quickly, uh, I've still been playing a bit of card, Dragon Quest XI, uh, middle of watching Ozark still. But something I uh, did catch up with is um, season four of Unforgotten, which I can't remember if I mentioned this or not before on the pod. Uh, but very quickly, it's a British crime drama se- uh, television series, um, initially airing on ITV. Been catching up with it on their uh, ITVX player thing. Yeah. It basically follows a team of... London Detectives, led by DCI Cassie Stewart, played by Nicola Walker. Uh, DCI Jesse James, I oh, sorry, Jesse James, Jess James, <laughs> played by, uh, not a cowboy, Sinead Keenan. And uh, DI Sonny Khan, played by Sanjeev Bhaskar, right. as they solve cold cases of uh, disappearance and murder. Each series deals with a new case, introducing seemingly unconnected characters who are gradually revealed to have some relationship with the victim. As the murder mystery unfolds, the emotional ramifications of the crime on the lives of those affected are explored. Just really, really good TV, really well acted. Uh, it's received various critical acclaim. Um, one of the, the actors, Tom Courtney, won the um, 2016 BAFTA TV Award for Best Supporting Actor of the first series. Mark Bonnar won the 2017 BAFTA for Best TV Actor for the second series. Um, it also looks into DCI Cassie Stewart's personal life of the typical but growing conflicts between her immediate family, um, how the job affects her, etc. So you, you've obviously got the, the cold case going on and then the sort of the drama around the main character. Just really well acted, brilliant stories, all the, you know, those sort of guest actors that they have to come in to play different characters are all really well done. I drive the story along, um, thoroughly enjoying it. There's, uh, final, or I'm uh, saying final, it's season five is available. I think it's actually airing at the moment. Right. Which I will catch up with. But it's really good. Each series is only six episodes, about an hour long. But the, the acting and the storytelling is awesome. So good. Really, really good crime drama. Nice. Brilliant. All right, short and sweet and to the point. See, I told you, everyone, we could have a longer news section. <laughs> but yes, that's what we've been up to this week. So let's get into the main topic. So this week, our main topic is um, to continue awards season or awards month. Uh, we want, we're talking about things that were robbed, things that could have won awards or could have won a specific award that would have, like, it, des- it deserved more than something else. Um, and we've all kind of picked one of them, at least. Uh, I think Biggie's booked two. Is he? Oh, just in case. Just in case. Fantastic, we can get both of them out. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to go through them and get a little bit angry about the thing that didn't win. I feel. Uh, so let's start off with you, Biggie. Let's rattle out the two that you've got. 
First up, uh, I've picked Saving Private Ryan. Uh, for those that don't know, it's a 1998 American epic war film directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Robert Rodat. It was set in, 1990, set in 1994, <laughs> set in 1944, <laughs> in France during World War II, and it follows a group of soldiers led by Captain John Miller, played by the fantastic Tom Hanks, on the mission to extricate Private James Ryan, who's Matt Damon, from the war after his three brothers are killed in battle. Cast also included Edward Burns, Tom Sizemore, uh, sadly passed away recently, Barry Pepper, Giovanni Ribisi, or is it Ribisi? 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 I can't remember. Our main man, Vin Diesel, Adam Goldberg, and Jeremy Davis. It's inspired by... Vin Diesel, is it? Yep. Fucking hell. It's inspired by the books of Stephen E. Ambrose and accounts of casualties among members of a single family, such as the Nyland Brothers. Um, this was a fantastic movie. Have you both seen it? Oh yeah, God, many ages ago. ago. Yeah, I didn't remember that Vin Diesel was in it. No. <laughs> the uh, project came to the attention of Hanks and Spielberg, whose previous successes secured the project's development. Um, this was up against Shakespeare's Love, I think it was Shakespeare in Love. In Love, thank you, Shakespeare in Love. Um, which just a romantic drama. It was a clever movie, but wow. How this loss to that is ridiculous. It's just an incredible movie. The fact that the intense commitment to the realism and authenticity by Spielberg's use of shaky camera handheld photography and the brutal depictions of violence uh, was shocking even back in 1998. The opening sequence, which is the famous D-Day landing, especially evoked almost documentary filmmaking, creating horror so visceral it would almost change the way movies were shot. Come Oscar night. Although Spielberg picked up Best Director Oscar, his second after Schindler's List, uh, Shakespeare in Love um, went off with the big top award. Um, the sad thing is that one of the reasons this happened was because the uh, devil himself, Harvey Weinstein, was involved mm-hmm. in basically this massive campaign to push it for the Oscars to the point where it almost changed the way that Oscars awards are won now. Um, he is almost bullying people into voting for it. And in fact, um, there was Vanity Fair published an extensive piece exploring the Shakespeare in Love Awards season campaign Weinstein orchestrated to get the romantic drama off the radar of Oscar. Oh, sorry, on the radar of Oscar. Oh, Oscar of Oscar voters. Yeah, uh, he was bad mouthing rival films like Saving Private Ryan and engaging in other techniques that have become controversial as the years have gone on. Yeah, was, um, someone from DreamWorks said. Um, Weinstein had tried to get everyone to believe that Saving Private Ryan was all in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Which is... They, uh, it's not the most terrible thing he's ever done, but it's... It, it's No, 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 of course not. He's down the list of things, but yeah, that was just him, wasn't it? He, like, he ruled Hollywood with an iron fist all mm. through the 90s. And apparently when uh, they polled the people that voted uh, back then, uh, given a, um, another opportunity, they would have voted Saving Private Ryan as the best picture. So obviously, the way that he bullied uh, the other those voters just shows you it could have had a different outcome had that not happened. Mm. And it, it's shocking. It, the, the, for me, I'm, I'm not saying I don't like Shakespeare in Love. It's fine. I have seen it. But the two films are just beyond comparison. I just cannot yeah. believe that walks away with an Oscar. Yeah, I do understand that in hindsight, sometimes you get sort of, you know, some, th- some things age better than others. And you can look back and be like, yeah, the other one should have won, but I mean, come on. When it's it, it does, it, 
between between those two, it's a no brainer. Again, like you said, there's nothing wrong with Shakespeare in Love. It's just it's a it's a retelling of Twelfth Night, isn't it? Basically, yeah. um, even if it was in the first fifteen minutes, you know, even if everything in Saving Private Ryan was in the first fifteen minutes, the first fifteen minutes of that film absolutely topples the entirety of Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even I mean, if it, it says here a- that. I was no, just going to say, it, it says here that... a 15-minute film, it was. Yeah, the, the World War II veterans um, describes after seeing Private Ryan as depicting the most realistic representation of combat. Um, another veteran said, I remember when I walked into the lobby of the movie house, not a single person, <coughs> excuse me, coming out of the showing said one word. Everybody was absolutely stunned by it. Mm. I was too. I wasn't about to talk to anyone either. It brought back so many memories that your mind was racing through all the things that happened to you. Fucking madness. Yeah, I, I mean that 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 one's one of the the classics of like of, of this of this concept, but it still beggars belief, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yuck. Uh, what was your other one, Biggie? It was Pulp Fiction, and um, this lost out to uh, Forrest Gump. <laughs> 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 so right. I mean, for Forrest Gump was for its time, you know, a very clever film. There's obviously a lot of interesting techniques that were used to show Forrest Gump in sort of famous, famous footage, etc. And whatever you think of um, Tom Hanks' portrayal of Forrest Gump, it was an interesting um, performance. But the fact that Pulp Fiction just felt like it was so different when it came out, um, it was Quentin Tarantino's second directorial effort. And the... The way the story was told from different viewpoints, different timelines, and how all the weird other stuff that went on in that movie, but somehow all gelled and everyone was connected in some way, was just brilliant, brilliant editing. The performance of Samuel Jackson, again, he missed out on an Oscar himself for that, um, considering that um, his character Jules is one of the most um, standout performances from that movie. Um, in a movie yeah. with a lot of standout performances. Exactly. But it, it it just surprised me that um, Forrest Gump won that, really. It's, yeah, Pulp Fiction, just an incredible movie. I, I mean, if that ever comes on the TV, the I will sit and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very similar. And, uh, yeah, um, Samuel L. Jackson lost out to Martin Landau uh, playing Ed Wood, the, the character in Ed Wood. Just, again... I mean, the- I, mean, I mean, to be fair, Martin Landau playing Bella Lugosi was actually pretty fantastic in Ed Wood. It was. It, it was, was very good, good in that film. <laughs> well, well, it's I, in I the best think... films, in fact. Uh, yeah, to be fair. <laughs> it's one of his earliest films. <laughs> yeah. It's Johnny Depp, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it's Johnny yes. Depp as Ed Wood. Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot completely about that film. It's a good film. It is. It's back in the days but when I, I... Johnny Depp and Tim Burton were good. Mm. But apart from the, the overall story and all the actors, again, all the performances with throughout Pulp Fiction, um, Jules just stands out for me. You can't take your eyes off him any time he's on screen. And, of course, the, the famous performance of Ezekiel 25.17, or whatever you call it, with a uh, Bible verse was just incredible. Almost at one point, everybody could recite that. <laughs> Everyone's walking around saying that, you know, yeah. I like, I, I, like you, I think the, my favourite moment with Jules is, is towards the end of the film when they're in the diner being robbed. He's had the morning from hell. He's kind of dressed in like a pink t-shirt and orange shorts or something like that. <laughs> and um, and um, Honey Bunny wants to, wants to take his wallet, and he's just he's not having it. He's done. He just nah. He's and he 
And he's like, reach in that bag, get the wallet. It says bad motherfucker. And he's like, he looks ridiculous in the state that he's in. Yeah, and he's yeah. still so intimidating. He's so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, his yeah. whole speech around say what again, just, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> they speak English and what? I fucking love that line. Because <laughs> I, I know it's Tarantino dialogue, but it feels improvised. And I think that's, like, that's when Tarantino's at his best when he can do that quick fire back and forth dialogue. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's good. That, that's a, a, a good pick, that one. Uh, I think I'm one of the few people in the world that actively dislikes Forrest Gump. I really don't like that film. It's okay. Like I said, I remember watching it. So I haven't watched it since, to be fair. I've only watched it once, but it, it was an entertaining movie. But again, I just don't think it, it touches pop fiction for what that delivered. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I just don't like Forrest Gump. I find it too saccharine. Right. And like the whole idea that Forrest has accidentally been in some of the most historically ma- major events of the 20th century without realizing it. It's just like, come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no, I like Forrest Gump, but I didn't realize that was the same year. Yeah, I'd have gone, I'd have gone with Pulp Fiction as well. Mm. Um, Even just the, the small performances of Travolta. Mm. Thurman in that, in Bruce Willis, in the short little story that he has in that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's Ving Rhames for me. It's just Marcellus Wallace is just amazing. <laughs> uh, but right, yeah, brilliant. Fantastic choices there. Uh, I'm going to go next. Uh, so I'm moving away from movies. I'm going to video games because I'm a nerd. Uh, and I want to I I cast your eyes back to the heady, halcyon days of 2021. Oh, seems so long ago. Yes, we were all a bit younger then. Um, it were at the time. <laughs> Everyone were allowed out the house again. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you, Nan. Uh, <laughs> I want to go, go to, Je- uh, to, to the, the annual Jeff Keighley Masturbatory event, the Game Awards. Um, and I want to talk about the Game of the Year choices there. I weren't happy about them. So, uh, for, the, for those of you who don't know, yes, Jeff Keighley runs an awards show, which is supposed to be the gaming version of the Oscars, when in fact it is just a massive advertising campaign and it's just another E3 where you get a load of reveals and Jeff Keighley brings on Hideo Kojima to go, look, I've got a famous friend! <laughs> and he wears terrible trainers. Uh, but, <laughs> obviously the big prize is the Game of the Year award. And uh, in this year, uh, the nominees were Resident Evil Village, uh, Ratchet and Clank are Rift Apart, Psychonauts 2, Metroid Dread, Deathloop, and the winner, It Takes Two. From Hazelight Studios, a uh, uh, Joseph Fares game. Now, I think that Metroid Dread had got absolutely fucking robbed for this. And I I have I, I have thoughts, and I need I, I need to point out, this is not me saying It Takes Two is a bad game. I really enjoyed It Takes Two. It's a very good game. It's a fun game. It's not a game of the year, mm. is my point here. I am, whereas Metroid Dread is. I mean, it's also it shows that like 2021 was probably maybe not the best year for games. Where if Deathloop is getting nominated for game of the year, <laughs> yeah, because again, Deathloop was fine. Seven out, seven out of ten, it were fine. Yeah, fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, it so I'll go through. So it takes two is. Um, uh, one of those kind of traditional Joseph Fares games where it's it's a two-player co-op game. Uh, you play as uh, Cody and May, and you have to... They are a couple that are in trouble, 
and their kid, being the way precocious kids are, wishes, and then there's magic, and then they get shrunk down to being toy versions of themselves, while the psychotic Spanish book of love keeps trying to force them back together again. And the game is fun. It's a mix of kind of platformer, shooting, and basically I think every genre. It forces everything together at some point. And it, it's a really well put together, well performed. I talked about the relationship between um, the two main characters uh, during Love Month. And yeah, I really enjoyed the game. The thing is, Metroid Dread was incredible. Metroid Dread was the first Metroid game in 20-something years. Uh, it was the direct sequel to Metroid Fusion, which was a Game Boy Advance game. That's how long ago it was. Um, it was, it was basically one of the things because obviously Metroidvanias have become such a staple of gaming for a long time. This one came out and goes, "No lads, this is how you do it." It was fast, it was frenetic, the action was great, it was scary at times. The boss fights are memorable and incredible. I can remember every single one of the boss fights in that game because they're so fucking good and explosive and powerful. Samus's movement tech was brilliant. Like the game felt like the game feels so good to try and speed run because you just see a slide and jump and then bouncing off walls and everything. It it's just it's it's the perfect ADHD game. Um, and it was it was my game of the year for 2021. And when it takes two got the award, I'm like, no, it's <laughs> a great game, but it's not game of the year. Metroid Dread was legitimately incredible. Um, and. Yeah, I just feel that, like, I mean, Metroid Dread did win the best action game, which, okay, great, but it what it should have been game of the year. And I know 2021 wasn't, like I said, it wasn't the greatest t- time for games because everything was delayed from the pandemic. So, like, all the good games came out, started coming out in 2022, like, you know, like mm. Elden Ring and shit like that. But, yeah, Metro- Metroid Dread proved that there was life in this old franchise in a really spectacular way. Um, and it's, you know, it's become a favourite of Metroid fans. Like most Metroid fans will talk about Prime or they'll talk about Super Metroid, but now like Metroid Dread just went straight into that conversation, like near the top of it. It is a universally loved game. Um, yeah, I'm gutted of- that Metroid is a Nintendo exclusive in that sense because I played the original Super Metroid many times, completed it. Yeah. I've forgotten how many times. I loved it. And I've never played the first person um, shoot of a viewpoint for it. And to me, it shouldn't work, but from, like you say, from the, what I've seen footage um, on YouTube and what other people have said to say, it's awesome. It, it completely kind of, it's the same game, but different, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it's, and, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like the same game plus, you know? Yeah. Or it, it, um, I, th- I think I read a review where someone says basically, um, this feels like what Super, this feels like the nostalgia for Super Metroid, like. Your, what you play of this is how you thought Super Metroid was back in 1992 yeah. or 94 or whenever yeah. it came out. Um, I can it, understand it, that. Yeah. And it was also like the highest highest grossing physical launch of any Metroid game in, in the UK. Like, it's sold by the fucking bucket load. Um, it, I mean, um, in America, it sold nearly a million copies in its first month. Jesus. Which is impressive for a series that's been dormant for 20-something years. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I think uh, I think it absolutely got shafted because it is. I, I mean, it 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 was the same with like the Golden Joystick Awards that year. It got Nintendo Game of the Year, but it didn't it, it didn't win Ultimate Game of the Year. Um, it was nominated for Action Game of the Year and didn't win it at the Dice Awards. Um, uh, the uh, what was it? The 
the British uh, the BAFTAs BAFTA Game Awards. It got nominated for the Game of the Year, but didn't win it. So it's just like this should have won Game of the Year in a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's funny is that I almost chose the same awards with from the same event, and I was going to say that Resident Evil Eight was the one that got robbed. <laughs> I mean, I can I can see it. I mean, Resident Resident Evil Eight. I don't think it's the best Resident Evil. I loved it again. I loved it. Um, but I, I rate Metroid Dread higher than Resident Evil Village, which is, mm. which, I mean, Resident Evil Village is a great game in itself. Um, but yeah, I can see your logic on that one. <laughs> but yeah, it 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 takes two as um, it's not a game of the year. Very good game, but it's not game of the year. I, I yeah, can't I I, have it. I can absolutely see how that one got nominated for game of the year. But yeah, no, I I agree with you. But yeah, I would I would have gone with Resident Evil Village. Um. I'm not. I'm. I'm not super. Having played it takes two recently, not all the way through. That said, about halfway through, um, I think it. I think the way it's it touches on subject, it, it's a lot more to being kind of. There's a lot more to it than what would first appear. Like I had no idea of the themes that it would cover. Going oh, yeah, into it, I go, thought it was go just some a, places. Yeah, I I thought it was a two player co op game. So when I saw that one game of the year, I was you know I was confused thinking that's all there was to it but, get, but going in yeah now understanding what it's actually about i can see how it won but i think it was i think yeah that was a year like you said a year of not a great amount of um game of the years coming out no <laughs> yeah i've not played any of those apart from a bit of death loop just to show you yeah i mean, I mean, I mean like ratchet and clank rift apart that, that one being in the game of the year contention it was a very pretty but very average game. It was that world blending thing that it does, isn't it? That was yeah. probably what put it, it was it, it was one of those games just to show off what the PlayStation could do, really. But I don't mm. think it yeah. I don't think it added anything to game. I don't think it was like an elite game. A very pretty game, but you know, whereas yeah, that yeah, you also had like Returnal, you had Life of Strange True Colors, you had the Artful Escape. Um Guardians of the Galaxy came out twenty twenty one. You know, the, the, there were a lot of games that could have gone better into the game of the year list. Keener Bridge of Spirits, Death Store, Inscription. Fuck me, Inscription should have got it. That's another one that was robbed at the Game Awards because <laughs> Keener Bridge of Spirits got the best indie game when Inscription was in there. <laughs> I have no confidence in Jeff Keighley. Oh, ouch. We've known that's been coming for a while. Sorry, yeah. Jeff. <laughs> the, the, the man, the man's just too obsessed with his trainers and his Hideo Kojima fan art. <laughs> <laughs> At least we know what we're getting, though. <laughs> well, true, 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 true. Uh, but yes, so that's that's my, that's my little rant about it. Uh, Candy, why don't you finish this one off? I've got a bit of a twofer on this one. Oh. Um, so in 2010, the Oscar for Best Picture was won by The King's Speech. Fine. Right. It's fine. It's a fine film. I'm it's not slagging It's an Oscar bait film. It's an Oscar yeah. bait film. The nominees in that category that year were Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are Alright, 127 Hours, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bane. Now, from that list, I think two films were done out of that awards. The first one being Black Swan, yeah, and the second agree. one being Inception. Mm, I would say also exception on that. Would say also a third one, Toy Story three. Yeah, I the the only thing with Toy Story three is it's been done before. It's it's not 
I don't know. Yeah, if but it was done third so film fucking is, well. It was done well. I just don't know. It's if not the, the best of the three, though, is it? I don't well, think it's still he, the best one. Well, no, but I would still rate Toy Story three above what one. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Again, like, don't don't get me wrong. The King's Speech is a good film, but you've got two really, really strong films that have that are original concepts, original ideas, and you're comparing it to something that's an Oscar bait. It's Oscar bait, like you said, and based in fact. Um, now, when I go to the cinema, I want to be wowed. I want to be wowed visually. I want every sense to be attacked. Um, like or June. I want, pardon? Like Doom, like yeah. The only thing that was attacked was my eyeballs because it was in 3D and my ears because I couldn't hear anything. Um, or a film that's going to be a thinker. Um, you know, I say I go to the cinema to be well, but that could be a sort of mental wowing as well. Um, mm. Black Swan is a psychological horror by Darren Aronofsky. And true to his usual form, it plays with your emotions. It plays with your senses. You're constantly on edge. And at the same time, it's um, revolving around these ballerinas that have been performed so well. Um, by the cast you know they've been in months and months of training they've dieted down to skin and bone like ballerinas in real life really do and it's acted so well and it just gets so under your skin I just don't think you can compare it to a film that is again very good but it doesn't shock you it doesn't wow you it doesn't have that you know it doesn't have that originality factor that Black yeah. Swan is. And the same with Inception. Um, you know, with all Christopher Nolan films, it's such a, that is such a cinema film. You know, the, the, the visuals and that with the city folding over on itself and going deeper and deeper into different layers of sleep. Again, such a more interesting concept, a more original concept. And the, the soundtrack on Inception as well. It's just stunning. And Black Swan, of course, because it's Tchaikovsky as well. Um, yeah. I, you know, I can't think of anything in the King's speech that wowed me. It was just two very good performances by both leads. You know, that it, it was a, a, a great, well-acted movie. But yeah, yeah for it me, was. And I there's awards for best actors. <laughs> yeah, the uh, inception, the, definitely, for me. The King's speech to me felt more like a player than anything. Yeah. yeah. And also, I just really hate Tom Hooper's direction. All those fucking close-up face shots just, ah, it just pisses me off. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I adore Inception. Inception's one of the most wonderful, mind-bending films I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and Black Swan is incredible. It's, it's so, so dark and depressing, but it's, it's so incredible. Du- it's so difficult to watch when, it, when it's something that should be so un- uplifting, shouldn't it? You know, Swan yeah. Lake and everything. You think of ballet and, you you know, think of these just stunning dances and everything but it's so like exploring the real grip behind it and the calluses on their feet and their you know eating disorders and the the constant mental torture from the people that are you know trying to get the most out of them as dancers and kind of teetering into her own psychosis and stuff like that Mm because um now it's been a long time since if i remember isn't mila kunis's character like almost imaginary she's not really there 
she ends up kind of comparing us. It, it's not so much imaginary as that she almost kind of takes on, it's almost like a fight club type thing. She almost yeah. takes on her, her persona as her darker side. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Cause that, and, then, and then it's kind of the way it ends as a result of that. And it just, oh God, it's such a good film. And Natalie so Portman's incredible in it. I, I mean, she's incredible it. in almost everything, isn't she? But the, the she's a very extreme, good actress. But yeah. The extreme she goes to, and the lacunas that they go to to perform in, in, these, in that film. It's just, oh, it's just exceptional. Yeah, and, no, I mean, I mean, e- either of those films should have beaten out the King's Speech quite easily by a country mile. I, I um, find it hard to decide who I would choose between those two films as well. Like, I was, like this question is going to come up when I talk about it. I, th- I think for me, I'll probably choose Black Swan over Inception, mostly because, like, I love Inception. I think Inception is a great film. Um, but Black Swan, when I saw it, like that affected me for a while. Yeah. Like that, and I think I think that's a good. If I can have an emotional response to a film beyond just like finding a sad ending sad, mm. um, I think that is what kind of picks me as the more effective film. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. But then it's I mean it's the visual effects of Inception, but then. There's an award for visual, <clears throat> there's, visual there's, yeah, effects. There's, there's, there's an award for cinematography and for visual effects and stuff and then, like that. You know, the I, cinema I think the spectacle of Inception, obviously not having seen Black Swan, but the spectacle of Inception, I saw it at the cinema, came out of that mind blown. Yeah. thought the whole thing was fantastic. The acting was great from everyone involved because that can't have been an easy script to work with. Yeah. to work out exactly where they are at what point in that movie. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it was just brilliantly done. And again, I wasn't, before that, I really wasn't a massive fan of Leonardo DiCaprio either. I, I, it, these previous choices of movies weren't really my bag, but I thought he was fantastic at that. Well, 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 that was about the time when Leonardo DiCaprio was coming out as like a serious actor. Like mm. the pretty boy days were over and he was starting to come out with like, because mm. he also did Shutter Island about a year later. I yes, think. I really like that as well. That was and great. Like, yeah. And then yeah. obviously leading up to him winning Oscars. And so, I think it was, I think it was, it was Great Gatsby after that. And yeah, he just started doing all these roles that really showed his range. Speaking of things that have been robbed of uh, awards, he's the ultimate, isn't he, Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> <laughs> and then the film that he actually did win the award for is one of the weaker ones, I think. It was, I can't remember I what it's called. It's the it. one where he gets attacked. The Revenant. That's right, yeah. Oh, no, it's really good. But, I th- but that the- is a movie you need to see either on a massive screen at home, but I saw that again in the cinema. Yeah, same. Cin- the cinematography was superb. And his yeah, performance he, was fantastic. But- he doesn't do that much acting in it, though. That's it. It's pretty yeah. much silent, isn't it? I think they just gave him an, a, 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 the Oscar as a token gesture because he deserved it at that it point. It feel <laughs> that way, yeah. Should have got yeah. it for Wolf of Wall Street. Actually, yeah, yeah. Look, look, I just looked at it because I was thinking that was like, did the Wolf of Wall Street win anything at the Oscars? And it didn't. It oh. was nomi- nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay, but it didn't win anything. Oh, didn't get anything for Best Part Car. <laughs> <laughs> Not Oscar. a scratch. <laughs> Oscars 2014. What, what did it lose to? Because that's. Um, that's good. that's 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 got to be interesting. Uh, uh, what, what was it? View by category. So, best actor was Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club. Best supporting actor was Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club. No, get out. Kate Blanchett and <laughs> uh, Blue Jasmine got actress in the leading role. Lupita Nyong'o got a uh, supporting role for Twelve Years a Slave. Um, oh, is it Twelve Years a Slave that one? 
was that it? Oh, God. What's it? It's Best Picture, isn't it? Yeah, winner was 12 Years a Slave. But it was also, but it was also up against American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, and Philomena. So, I mean, that, I mean that's a hard year to win in. That's a lot of very yeah. good films. Captain Phillips, yeah, that was a great movie. <laughs> her, I, mean, gra- I love her. I mean, Gravity, for all of its faults, was a really good film as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I'd love that. Yeah. Uh, saw that in 3D. But yeah, I mean, okay, maybe. I got Wolf of Wall Street losing to 12 Years of Slave. I can't really argue with that, can you? Yeah, <laughs> but it's a shame it didn't win anything, though. Yeah. They should have put it back in the next year, re-released it. But yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think Leo's lost the most Oscars, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Leo. Well, I'm, I'm sure he'll be comforted by his 19-year-old girlfriend. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wiping away his tears with his $100 bills. <laughs> Just put in that Woody Harrelson <laughs> gif <laughs> from Zombie Lad. Uh, fantastic. Right. Uh, let's get to what the audience has said because we have a couple of responses. Xenos uh, has suggested that Roger Deakins says the Batman had the best cinematography of 2022 and should have been nominated at the Oscars. And the reason it wasn't is pure and simple snobbery. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I agree that the, the cinema, that. cinematography in the Batman was incredible. I really mm. enjoyed it. It was a good film as well, even though it was maybe about half an hour too long. Yeah. The arse fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lee Davies uh, said, Forrest Gump won a bunch of Oscars at the Shawshank Redemption should have got. Hanks winning Best Actor over Morgan Freeman is the most galling. Mm. Mm, That's a good shot. Yeah. And then we've got uh, our own venerable Stig. Says, hey apologies for not being on this week's show, but I have exams this week and I need to use the time for some last-minute cramming in an early night. But because I didn't want to leave the show completely stigless, I thought I'd write in with my choice for this week's topic. Cast your mind back to the year 2000, a year that featured huge albums at the time, such as 2001, Human Clay, White Pony, Kid A, Stankonia, Hybrid Theory, No Strings Attached, and Parachutes, just to name a few. Now, some of these albums might not be to the taste of the people on this podcast or even our listeners, but on the whole, there's no denying the quality or popularity of these albums and just how breakthrough some of them were for younger artists. No more so than Eminem with the Marshall Mathers LP. Now, Eminem had some initial fame with his previous album, the Slim Shady LP, but it was the release of Marshall Mathers that shot Eminem to the stratosphere, an album that brought out his more mature, mature side and showed a very different distinction between the alter ego Slim Shady and Marshall Mathers. It was a huge album that year, second best-selling behind NSYNC, and today Eminem's second highest-grossing album. It was packed with hit after hit and fundamental to the overall success of Eminem. So let's cut to the night of the 2001 Grammy Awards. Eminem had already managed to win three awards that night before they got to the biggest award of the night, Album of the Year. All signs po- pointed towards Eminem scooping up the award. The man himself says it was, he was all but told he was winning. And then the winner is announced, and it's Steely fucking Dan. Oh god. Steely Dan, a band that hadn't been relevant for 20 years, somehow managed to come out of obscurity to pip one of the ha- biggest and most influential albums of the of the year to album of the year. Uh, he says Liz Trust voice, this is a disgrace. <laughs> so yeah, an absolute BS decision. It wouldn't be the first or last time the Grammys got it spectacularly wrong. Just look up the history of Grammy fuck-ups and it's list uh, it's full of absolute batshit decisions. I'm going to leave this feedback with one that might possibly make oodles or gadgets spew. Lionel Richie's Can't Slow Down beat Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA and Prince's Purple Rain in 1985 to Album of the Year, despite the latter two dominating the charts. That kind of... God. That, no, nah, nah. Like, 
if Purple Rain had been born in the USA, fine. I don't like Prince, but I would get it. Yeah. And I'm sure vice versa if, if, if born in the USA. But fucking Lionel Richie, man. Yeah. The Grammys are full of dickheads and they just do weird decisions all the time. Yeah. And Eminem was just at his peak then. Yeah, should have scooped that. I mean, the Marshall Mathers LP is like a transcendental album. It was one of the kind of brought people from all genres into rap music. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I, you know, like you managed to launch careers of like D12 and people like that on that album with their little guest spots. Yeah. Ah, oh, fucking love that album. I still mean the, the the closing song of the album, "Criminal," is one of the funniest he's ever written. Yeah. <laughs> You're good, damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I used, to, I used to be able to sing along to that album as well, like just like start to finish. Like I would listen to it on repeat constantly. Yeah. Um, I used to know all the lyrics. Uh, it's, it's, most of it's gone from me now. Do you know what? <laughs> I used to listen to it all the Yeah, I, I used to listen to it all the time when it came. So I was early teenager. I can't remember how old exactly, and I'm not going to say either. And, um, you know, everyone's parents didn't want us to listen to Eminem. And I listen to it now and like, do you know what? I wouldn't let me listen to Eminem either. No. It's like, they were right to not let us. <laughs> the song where he's on a fucking drug trip. That, that, that was certainly one of them. Or uh, remember... chopping up his wife. Actually, to yeah. be fair, I, I, I always used to skip over Kim. I really didn't like that song. I couldn't. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was a bit too dark for me. I, mean, I was 13 when it came out, so yeah. I was, Even I was... the skits in between were quite funny as well. Yeah. There's, yeah. a, there's such a, like, it's like the flip of a coin with Eminem, isn't it? There's, like, the funny, goofy Eminem, and then there's, I, I'm going to kill everyone Eminem. I think um, uh, the, the, the way I am is aged a little bit badly with him defending Marilyn Manson in it, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, always, I always remember that, like, um, that chorus to uh, Kill You. And I, I, I just, it, it just, it's the way, like, it changes from his rap meter to his little singing thing. is you don't want to fuck with yeah. Shady, because Shady... Yeah. Will fucking kill you. I just it makes me giggle every time because it's just such a random turn from his rapping. <laughs> yeah. I bet it's exhausting to live with. I think apparently he's quite chill now. I think back yeah. in the day he wasn't when he was on all of the drugs in the world. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that is a good shout, Stig. Oh, fucking I'm gonna have to listen to Marshall Mathers LP this week. Might stick it as the Patreon <laughs> end music, just one of the album tracks that might put criminal on it actually, because fuck it, why not? <laughs> yeah. Makes sense, criminal. <laughs> yeah uh but yeah that's uh it for this week so uh if you uh want to support us you can go to the patreons get access to the green room and to the extra content that we do uh patreon.com forward slash modern escapism it's a five or a month plus vat or you can do the biggie bundle and support do dragon stream escort sheep smash that glass and deep dive lounge as well and that's seven pound fifty plus vat a month and why wouldn't you i thought you loved us <laughs> Yeah, get your feedback in, you lazy twat. <laughs> Stop shouting at them. I'm trying to guilt trip them and you're shouting at them. What's wrong with you, man? They need it. It's like being told <laughs> off by both parents, isn't it? When they're trying to be kind and the other, the other one's horrible. Oh, God. Tell your rooms as well. <laughs> uh, make sure, yeah, make sure to leave us uh, feedback on your, pl- your platform of choice. Five stars or no stars. That's the deal. Um, and you, you know, if you, if you leave us anything other than five stars, I'm going to send Candy's cat round for a good bapping. Yep, you won't Sharpening survive. His claws. Uh, but yeah, next week we are doing. Uh, we're pulling it forward a little bit early because obviously two of them, two two of them are off, so we can't really decide it yet. Uh, we're doing Patreon's choice next week, so check out the Discord, check out the Twitter, 
Uh, if you're a patron, you'll get the patron post. You get to choose between four choices. Um, but yeah, I think this is a podcast. Patrons, we'll meet you round in the green room in a minute for continued chattering and throwing things in fire. Uh, but for the rest of you, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Bye. 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 This is modern escapism. God, I went really Clarkson there, didn't I? <laughs> this is modern escapism. <laughs>